Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. In yesterday's devotion, we saw the stage being set for Samson's compromise. As a Nazareth, he was forbidden from contact with a carcass. Moreover, he encounters this lion and kills it in a vineyard, which is something else that was forbidden for Nazareth. He's not even supposed to be around grape products. So you can see the early signs of that compromise beginning. And we hopefully apply that text to our lives by spotting those just beginnings of the compromises. It is so much better to nip sin in the bud, spot temptation for what it is, and not even begin to go down the road of compromise. Uh, my former VP at Lifeway used to say, if it's gray, stay away. And that is fantastic advice, right? I've only seen, I've only seen bad things come uh, from ignoring that advice. So let's learn from Samson. He's about to not only compromise himself, but compromise his parents as well. Watch this. Judges 14, verse 7. Then he went and spoke to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. Okay, that right there will preach by itself. She seemed right Samson. Man, like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your path straight. This all seemed quite right to Samson. Now, we saw in a previous devotion that God's hand is sovereign over all of this. None of this caught God off guard. The Lord was even working through all of this, and he would use it to cause the Philistines to come to the aid of the Israelites. But insofar as it pertains to Samson, what Samson knows, and that for which Samson is culpable for unto the Lord, seems right to him, and that's a problem. It should be a big red flag. Okay, let's come back to the text. After some time, okay, remember, he's killed a lion in a vineyard in Philistia, where he shouldn't be, either in Philistia or in a vineyard, because he's a Nazareth, and he did something he shouldn't do. When he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass, and there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands, okay, right here, this is a violation of his Nazareth vow. He's forbidden from contact uh, with a carcass. And now he has scooped honey from the lion's carcass and ate it as he went along. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, this is included in part because, you know, it would have grossed them out to hear probably, but also uh, because it means that they are unwittingly participating now in Samson's violation of his Nazareth vow. It needs to be pointed out as well that these words in Hebrew echo the words from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is what Eve did to Adam, gave him something and he ate it, right? Here, Samson, the, the, the words are almost identical in Hebrew. He gave some to them and they ate it. The only difference here is that uh, this is the this is plural, <laughs> and instead of just the word him referring to Adam, it's them referring to Samson's parents. Other than that, it's a it's a reiteration of Genesis three six Eve giving the forbidden fruit to Adam. 
Verse 10, his father went to visit the woman and Samson prepared a feast there as young men were accustomed to do. Uh, another revisitation of the Hebrew here, this word feast comes from, uh, it, it comes from the, uh, the Hebrew word to drink. Okay, so this is a party. This is another thing that uh, Nazareth would vow never to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men, uh, 30 men to accompany him. All right, so it's more of a Philistine party than it is, than it is a Hebrew party. Samson is outnumbered here, right? Uh, they, they know that he's, they, they, they may know at this point, you know, that he's different. We, he hasn't yet exhibited publicly his feats of, of supernatural strength. Okay, uh, that encounter with the lion, it was just Samson. Nobody else knew what was going on. He was in a vineyard where he shouldn't have been, did something that he shouldn't have done by touching the carcass thereafter. He actually, look at verse 8, he actually left the road that he was on deliberately to go to the carcass. So in verse 9, what he does is sort of entraps his parents. They are unwitting accomplices. Now they are tacit, uh, they are tacit third parties to his violation of his Nazareth vow. Sin does this, man. All right, we saw in our previous devotion as he begins to take that first compromise, and now already he's dragging other people into his sin with him. See to it that you don't establish mere smoke screens of accountability. As a modern-day Christian, applying this text, see to it that you don't un- make other people unwitting parties to your sin. I, you know, have been doing student ministry. I feel like I, I never stopped. You know, I, I started off as a youth pastor, as a lot of pastors do. And um, the day that I received, you know, uh, a changing of position at Lifeway, and I told Ben Trueblood, the, uh, the director of Lifeway Student Ministries, yeah, you know, it's weird because, uh, you know, this is kind of my last day in student ministry. It was the only time I ever saw Ben get mad. And he got mad at me for saying that uh, because my role was going to be over all age levels from kids uh, through through a, a senior adults and, and the role that I was fulfilling at Lifeway. And he's like, and students are included in that. Students are a part of the church. You're not leaving student ministry. Student ministry is a part of your job. Uh, and he was right. He was right in what he said. And he was right to get mad at me for saying it. And I'm grateful uh, that he did because it did uh, open my eyes to that. So Ben's right. I've never left student ministry. Part of student ministry, one of the biggest struggles that particularly young men struggle with, although they're not alone in it, is dealing with online pornography. Uh, it's never been more accessible to any generation of young men than it is to, to this generation. And so it's a very common struggle. And uh, early on, you know, a lot of the steps we would take would be these online accountability platforms. And there'd be these things that would report your online activity to an accountability partner. And I encouraged them, these young men, to be accountable to their dads, but not all of them had dads. Some of these were kids who were saved in our student ministry. I think this is a big part of why student ministry exists at all. It's largely because some parents don't disciple their kids. And then also, uh, what about the kid whose parents aren't Christians, right? So the the church would step in and provide that. I think student ministry is at its strongest when it uh, serves as uh, an equipping for parents to disciple their teenagers. But what about the teenager who's the only Christian in his family? So I would be that online accountability partner for this kid. And, you know, at first it would work well. And uh, if he visited a questionable site, it would send it to me. And then I would be able to confront him on it. 
And, you know, sometimes with tears, he would confess, we would pray, he would repent. And then I'd get, you know, cleaner and cleaner reports as time would go on. And then what I noticed over time, over years of doing this, was that I would get, I would get suspiciously spotless reports. Because sometimes these online accountability platforms would register false positives. Like uh, my online accountability report once flagged to my accountability partner an article that I had read that was innocuous when it comes to the sin of lust. And he, he asked me about it. He's like, what's in the article? And I was like, well, click on the link. I know I'm not making you stumble. You'll go see what it is. It's a political article. And so when I noticed that there were, there were no false positives in any of these reports that I was getting from any of these numerous young men that I was providing accountability to, uh, along with the small group leaders too, that you know, would step into that sort of surrogate spiritual father role for the fatherless. I think it's a beautiful ministry for the church to provide. I began to get suspicious and think like, surely at some point, one of these one of these false positives would come up. You know, the kid may log into Facebook and click on an article that's innocuous, but the the algorithm would would trigger it. But like, there's nothing in any of these reports. And so I began to confront these students and say like, okay, according to your accountability software, man, you've gone like four months without looking at anything that could even be misconstrued as inappropriate. Is that real? Is that true? Be honest with me face-to-face, man-to-man. And every one of them said either like, um, yeah, you know, I've found a way around the software or two, I'm no longer using that device. Uh, they, and, and what that did was gave the impression of righteousness and it provided actually this cordoned off space where sin could happen and it turns out that even while they had these like spotlessly immaculately clean accountability reports they were deeper in pornography than ever and it, they would have been able to show their parents, for example, those who had a, you know, a good relationship with their parents, they, they've been able to show their parents. And if they're accountable to their dads, their dads were getting these spotless accountability reports and it would have looked righteous. But what they were doing was using their nominal only accountability partner to convey righteousness. It was no accountability at all. It was worse than a lack of accountability it was the artifice of accountability. It actually created uh, protection for their sin. Don't do that to someone, okay? Don't cause them to unwittingly be party to your sin. Don't wrap others up in your sin. Beware if you might be in the position of Samson's parents right now, where somebody is putting on a good face for you, but what they're really doing is wrapping you into their web. Beware if someone comes to you, for example, with gossip, because you can get wrapped up into slander, and you can become party to someone else's sin. This is partly why we're, we're advised, don't be too hasty in the laying on of hands. Right? When it comes to ordaining someone unto ministry, for example, right? don't be wrapped up in someone else's sin. Okay? You do what you can for accountability, and you disciple other believers. Absolutely. That is 
that is necessary. That is critical. That is, you know, a great commission, basic, make disciples. However, beware that you may be in the position of Samson's parents and you may be unwittingly um, giving your blessing to or at least affirming someone else who is actually wrapped up in sin and they may drag you down with them. Be careful for whom you serve as a character reference. Uh, I, you know, as a, as a pastor, you get asked to write a lot of character reference letters and, you know, I, uh, I've good grief. I, I don't know how many hundreds I've written, you know, over the last, uh, 15, 16 years, 17. I don't even know how many years I've been a pastor now. Uh, over the years. And when someone comes to me and asks for a reference and I don't know them that well, all right, I'll be very careful to, 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 to explain. I'll, I'll write what I can. You know, I haven't seen you in church in a while. <laughs> We've only had a couple conversations. Like, or in another case too, where it's like, uh, yeah, brother, this is, this is asking uh, for your, uh, a reference, you know, uh, with my name on it to attest to your aptitude uh, to work with other people in a certain area in which you've struggled. And I can't speak to your own degree of, of repentance in this regard. All right. And so there have been a couple instances where I've said, you may be better off with a recommendation from someone else because if my name is on it, then I'm standing there attesting to their righteousness. So beware of causing others to be unwittingly complicit in your sin and uh, beware of being unwittingly called, you know, wrapped up in someone else's failure. You must answer to the Lord for how you act and uh, by what you affirm. And they must answer the Lord individually for what they have done before God. Let us not we we've webs of sin that entrap others. <laughs>